we have a huge opportunity as entrepreneurs. We have a huge opportunity if we can connect with our prospective clients, our clients, our customers, but with all the marketing messages out there, over 4,000 messages the average individual receives. Wow, how do we differentiate ourselves? Well, I'm gonna share with you our secret weapon. Our secret weapon in my group of entrepreneurs is an individual, Bo Eason. Bo is an unbelievable storyteller. I've had the privilege of working with him over the last few years, and it's changed my life. And it's gonna change yours as we show you how you can emotionally connect with the right clients and customers. Stay tuned. Ordinary success? No way. You want amazing, remarkable, exceptional breakthroughs. Dig deep, think bold, drive hard, watch yourself soar beyond your dreams. AESNation.com Bo Eason, I am so happy to have you here with me, my good friend. Thank you, John. Always good to be with you. You know, I keep on going back to when we first met, and it, it's kind of a funny story, so I want to share it with everyone, so it'll give a little framing. I happened to be at an event that you, know, you were putting, it was your play, your Broadway play. I think you had two runs on Broadway. You know, I was just picking you up as you had a 50-city turn, and I watched, I love theater. I do not usually go to one-man plays, and I sat through that, and I was blown away, and I, uh, we had a, a little bit of a mutual interest in that I used to work with Lee Steinberg and you in our sports side, and I'll let you get into that. But you know, we ended up getting together after the play and having a visit. And you know, I was asking you, Bo, I see in the top financial advisors that I have the privilege of coaching that there's one secret weapon that they have. And when we do all the research, and it's their ability to tell stories and tell them with passion and really explain why they do what they do. And I was going, you know, you're so passionate, Bo. Who do you know that could do that? And you were kind enough to say, you would. And for the last few years, you've been doing it. And it's just, it's changed the life of so many people. So I want to sincerely thank you on this podcast. That's been a big difference. Oh, yeah, you're welcome. And there's nothing more fun, too, when somebody starts to just access their own story which gives you your own voice and your own power and a sense of yourself, there's nothing better than watching people take that on for themselves. Because for so long, you know, you and I were raised in a world where they said, hey, don't talk about yourself. Don't brag about yourself. Well, it's all upside down now. Well, and one of the things I want to, you know, our fellow entrepreneurs, and I want to turn it back over to you, Bo, to give us a little guidance on this. But, you know, the one thing you and I heard, we ran a number of workshops together. We've done all kinds of programs together, and we've seen unbelievable results. And we hear so many of the guys, you know, I'm, I'm 58, and I'm going, you know, geez, I'm, you know, 58 years, nothing really happened. You know, it's boring, <laughs> mundane, and... And the magic is there's really a story in all of us. And once we share it, what a difference it makes. Yeah, and, and that's true of everybody, everybody that I've ever met. You know, it must be thousands by now that you and I have coached in this realm. And, and every one of them say, oh, who's going to care about my story? Not, my, my life is kind of mundane. It's kind of boring. Yeah, if you think of the 58 years, yeah. 
but we're not thinking of the 58 years. We're taking the most critical uh, uh, turning point times in your life, moments out of your life, and then turning the heat up right there. Those are the moments that people are, they're very dramatic and people are very interested. And I haven't met anybody to this point who has not had a story that knocked people over. Even the, even when they're telling it, they think, oh, this is going to be boring. No one's going to care. And the audience is not only floored, but they become connected to that person, maybe for the first time. Because most speakers and most people that are in front of you, they kind of keep a distance from you. And the personal story really lays out that connective tissue for you to join together. And that's when business is done and that's when marriages happen. That's when, that's when deals are closed. That's when um, uh, love at first sight happens. It happens because of that trust that you have in the sharing of your story. Now, it's, it's, it's where magic happens. There's no question about it. And one of the things I, I want to do, Bo, is that, you know, when I, I look as an entrepreneur, you know, and I looked at storytelling. There's no shortages of books out there. And later, I'm going to ask you your favorite books. But, you know, the, there's no shortage of books. And this is kind of a time that's happened. And we're used to stories, you know, whether we're reading books or movies and so on. But as entrepreneurs, it's kind of like, well, this is a little fuzzy. Well, I want to share with you just a little framing is that when we do research, we found that 84% of us are right brain versus left brain. Now, most entrepreneurs are leaning toward the left. They're very logic, logical. You know, they create systems. They, they really are all about execution. And they, they're so good oftentimes in sales that they want to persuade people. Well, the reality is that most individuals, they want to emotionally connect. 84% want to emotionally connect with you first and then justify it with logic. And we all want to use logic. But how, how can we, you know, I mean, I, how can we help the, uh, our audience today, whether they're on the podcast, uh, video podcast, or on the audio, how can we help them really start to see the power of their own personal story? Yeah, the, you know, you just, it, it's, it's a, it's, uh, the word is surrender to the voice that you already have. Because, you know, like John and, John and I, you know, we're in our 50s, so, and, and I don't know how old everyone is on this, on this webcast, but look, You've done all the hard work, whether you're 30 or 35 or 40 or 65 or 70. You've already done all the hard work. You've spent a lifetime mastering your life. Well, wouldn't it be a shame if you didn't master the telling of that life? Because that's what needs to be passed on to the youth. That's how, that's how communities grow. That's how, we, that's how civilizations grow is we share our journey. What, how we got here, that defining moment, and that helps everybody else learn. So we really just, the first thing we have to do is we have to surrender to the fact that our story is impactful. And it's really, if you think about it, it is really the most valuable thing that you have. No, I, because, yeah, because people, they, they connect immediately to story where they don't know how to connect to a business unless they've got some molecules to attach it to. And, you know, that that's the beauty of the thing. And it's it's almost too simple to be true. Well, that that I, is, yeah, that that's the fact. Well, that's what I love about it, Bo, is that, you know, at the end of the day, you know, whether you make widgets or you're selling million dollar engagements, whatever kind of business you have, everything can be redone by someone else. 
Yep. What can't be redone is your story, your passion. And when you share your passion, that's when the relationships come alive because you attract the right people who want, you know, they understand you want to be a hero in their lives. Yeah. And if you, I once heard this, this quote, and it's so good. The minute you start telling a story is the minute you stop selling a commodity. And that's it. it, You know, I mean, wow. And one of the big things we want to do as entrepreneurs is to differentiate ourselves. And that's so critical. But I want to play a segment here. And we call it Life's Intrudes. And I want to get a little of your background because, you know, you didn't come out, you know, for and say, I want to be a master storyteller. (laughs) You had a few things, and, and I'm thinking of, uh, I mean, you've had a lot of where life intrudes and you, you get scars. I mean, yeah. yeah. When did life intrude and you became a master storyteller or began that journey? Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, I was in the NFL playing football for the Houston Oilers. And, you know, it, when you're in that game, it's a young man's game. So I had played five years and I had seven knee surgeries up to that point. And then the last one came, this particular play happened my knee exploded broke my ankle my knee my leg all in one play and as I was being wheeled off of the field I'll never forget it it was in Miami Florida and I'm being wheeled off of the field and you know how you those moments you have where your whole life just turns into slow motion and you see your whole life and I'm on a stretcher and these two medics are taking me off the field And the first thought I had was prison because I thought, man, what I'm great at, what I've trained to be the best in the world at is to actually throw my body and this head into other bodies. And I was, I was the best at that, but I was thinking on that stretcher, if I can't find another occupation where that is valued, I'm in big trouble. And so I thought I'd go to prison. And then in the very next moment to, to, to keep myself from going to prison, I said, you know what I'm going to do? I got to find a platform, a stage, some kind of way to get this expression out of this body like I used to do in football and get paid for it and be cheered for it. I got to find another way to express this thing so that I don't have to go to prison. And I go, I'm moving to New York City. <laughs> well, and and that's, that's when it all started. Well, and, and, and I want to follow up on this because, you know, it's so important. I mean, one of the things, you know, we're here today, you know, with using technology and creating our own platform. And the days that you had to wait for somebody to discover you don't exist. And, you know, there wasn't anybody. I mean, there were, I don't know, 20,000 people or so watching you be wheeled off. But I doubt anybody was saying, okay, it's time for Bo to get a platform to share right. his experiences. Right. You make that, and, and that's one of the, the, the thing that I, I've really enjoyed working with you, Bo, is that you've reinvented yourself several times and, mm-hmm. and always at the top of the game. What, what was that big breakthrough moment that you had that, you know, okay, we're, we're being wheeled off, and I've seen the pictures of you, that <laughs> knee going, and, and it's, it's hard. It's hard. Not pretty. It's not, not pretty to, uh, you know, kind of when you see your foot on the wrong side of your face, it's not a good thing. So you're being wheeled off, and, you know, that, that's certainly a life in truth. So you go to New York, and now I, I'm sure, you know, 
there's just so much opportunity there for you and everybody's waiting for you to show up and it's going to just take off instantly. What was yeah. the big breakthrough there? For me, I found a mentor and I don't think he wanted to be my mentor initially because um, his name is Al Pacino. And yeah, I, he, he's busy. <laughs> he's kind of busy elsewhere too. On it. That's right. And I, I sort of just forced myself upon him and asked him, because all the students in my classes were telling me, I was saying to them, okay, who is the best stage performer of our time? Who is it? And they all go, well, that's Al Pacino. And I said, cool, where is he? And they said, I don't know, he's Al Pacino. He's probably, you know, in, on a movie set somewhere. I said, okay, I want what he has. So I need to talk to him about taking what he's got and him teaching me what he's got. So they said, that's impossible. You can't do it. It's Al Pacino. Well, within about three days, I was at Al Pacino's house and I spent three hours with Al Pacino and we played pool. And the whole time, all I did was grill him on what it takes to be the best to be, to express myself on stage. And he told me, he broke, he broke down my next 15 years. And he goes, you know what, Bo? I'm going to tell you what to do, but that, you're looking at 15 years. And I said, cool. I work great in those kind of timelines. I'm with it. I'm going to do it, Al. And as I left him, I shook his hand. I go, thank you, Al, so much for, for breaking down my next uh, 15 years. Um, I bet this happens to you every day. I bet actors want, come up to you every day and want to you know, be famous or want to be you. And he said, no, actually, you're the first. He said, people come to me and they, they want me to get them an agent or they want them, me to get them a part in a movie, but no one ever said they wanted to be the best performer on stage and take my mantle. So 15 years passes uh, and I'm on a Broadway stage with a play that I wrote and I'm the only person in and I'm back behind the curtain about to wet my pants, I'm so nervous because the New York critics are waiting and, and it's, an op it's opening night. So I run out, I begin the play, and about 10 minutes inside the play, I start to get my grounding, I start to get my footing, and the nerves start to dissipate, and I make eye contact with somebody in the fifth row, and he's right on the aisle, and it's Al Pacino. And I hadn't seen him for 15 years. We, we parted ways, that was it. I took what he said, I did exactly what he said. And all he did, John, all he did was this. We made eye contact during the play, and he goes like this. Just nodded his head. I never saw him again. That was the best review I ever had. <laughs> and that was when I said to myself, man, I am go this is who I am. I've yeah. got to create my own voice. I've got to create my own story so mm -hmm. that I own the property. So just like any entrepreneur, you know, you own your property. You own it. It your face, your mouth, your brand, it's you. So the better I am at telling me, at sharing me, I'm telling you John, that was 1998 wow. that I wrote that play. I have never had to wait for the phone to ring again because of one darn story. That, and you know, and this is so important is that, you know, and when you want to, I mean, there's so many lessons in that. And I mean, from the really basic one that someone at Al Pacino's statue, who you would think would be bombarded with the ask that you had, 
isn't even called. Yeah. And then the second is that if you just lay the foundation and do it, yeah, a little Nikeism here, then you can make it happen. And 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 this is and really, Bo, one of the most impressive parts. That we're talking about storytelling, but and differentiate yourself. But you you made the story the whole platform at that time where. You know, you had two runs on Broadway. I've seen the billboard, you know, over Times Square with you. Your head was big, 40 foot <laughs> at least. And, you know, these are things that certainly many athletes at the end of their career want to do something like this, but they're not willing to put the time in. That's right. You laid the foundation and wow. This is a passion segment. And what I'd like to hear, Bo, is what are you working on now that you're really passionate about that, you know, the, these entrepreneurs, our fellow entrepreneurs yeah. need to hear? Yeah, I, you know, there, there's something new in my life. Actually, it's not new. It started when I was nine, but I've just started to de develop how to teach it and how to train it uh, to entrepreneurs, to, you know, uh, business owners. And it has been so exciting. I just did it last week for the first time, and it's literally called The Best. Because when I was a kid, my dad would wake me up every morning at 5 a.m. because I wanted to be the best safety in the world, and he would wake me up and rub my back, and he'd tell me I was the best. This was at, this was at 9. And he did it to my sisters, and he did it to my brother, and he did it to all our friends. Every time you saw my dad, he would rub your back really hard. And he would say, you're the best in there. And he'd throw a few cuss words in there because that's just, you know, how he talks. But he always told us we were the best. Well, this embarrassed me and my brother. We'd be going on double dates when we were 15 and 16. And my dad would walk us to the car with two girls. And he would say, boys, you're the best. And the girls would go, what is he talking about? And my dad and my brother would be so embarrassed that he would be saying, we're like, dad, get back in the house. But, but. Every, everything that I've ever done in my life, which is about four disciplines that I've really shot at being the best. I said, I want to be the best at safety. I want to be the best at stage performing. I want to be the best speaker. And these things take time, 15, mm -hmm. 18 years. So people started to say, hey, I want to be able to know how you do that in different disciplines. Because the discipline, it doesn't matter. What matters is the commitment to being the best. And what I learned was you got a, I got a lot of pushback on being the best at first. Like people go, well, that's bragging. I don't want to be the best. And then I, th I thought about that and I said, well, actually, you were the best way before I met you. You know, and then I go right back, John, and it's very funny. I go right back to their conception. Mm -hmm. I say, okay. On the day that you were conceived, so you're going to argue with me that you're not the best or you don't have the desire to be the best. And I go, let's go back to your day of your conception when 300 million sperm were swimming to do one thing. Millions of years of evolution and design where these 300 million sperms, you being one of them, were swimming your butt off to... Uh, to get to the uh, egg. Well, you tell me out of 300 million to one odds, who won the race? Yeah, yeah. I never you thought know, of it that way. That's a, everybody starts out as the best. That's right. You, 
You talk about Olympic champions. You talk about Michael Phelps swimming. What about you against 300 million and you're the champion? And it's life or death. Right. And you won. So you're going to argue with me now that you, if you can defy 300 million to one odds and you're going to argue with me that you're not the best, I'm not having it. I'm not buying it. That is the most exciting thing, John, that I'm working on now. And I developed this whole program where we take people who are, that the, this is the filter. You either have to have a dream of being the best in the world at your position, whatever that may be, or you have to be the best in the world at your position currently. And we, I just did it with 20 people last week. We had, out of 20, John, we had seven gold, uh, not, we had seven Olympic medals and we had seven Tour de France victories, and we had people selling, you know, who have sold their business for 300 million and 40 million, and it was just this group of like-minded people who are thinking at the very highest of levels. And I'm telling you, I, there was only 20 of us in the room, but there was nothing more exciting than being in the presence of people who think like that and desire that not only for themselves, but for everybody around them, including their children and their spouses and their, their businesses. It was, it was so exciting that I can't wait to just keep building that. No, that's, it is exciting. And this is, you know, for all the entrepreneurs watching and listening to us, it's, you know, we, we want to be, I mean, the vast majority of us want to be the best. We want to make a big difference. We want to put, as Steve Jobs says, a den in the universe. We're not sure exactly how sometimes, but it's by really coming together in groups like this, you know, sharing. This is why we started AESNation.com to bring us all together, accelerating entrepreneurial success and share, you know, the best practices, the, the proven success, the great bold insights. And, and, you know, Boa, I mean, this is so really powerful. Now, I want to bring it back to the part of being the best is having that vision, being able to tell your own narrative, that story and share it and get people excited about working with you. Yeah. Um, if one of the entrepreneurs, you know, we'll, uh, let's do the, this segment here. The book of the day. Now, this is a segment, Bo, that I'm looking for you know, an idea, and I know you, you're well-read, you and I have talked about many of the books, a book that the entrepreneurs can get a feeling of all of what we're talking about here. Yeah, you know what my favorite book of all time is, is The War of Art. Not the art of war, which most people know that from Sun Tzu and, you know, you know, 1500. I was in the book. military, I remember that book. Yeah, <laughs> but this is The War of Art. And it's written by a guy named Stephen Pressfield, who was a Marine. He also wrote the movie. Did you ever see the movie The Legend of Bagger Vance, well, the golf movie? I have, and I've read his book, and it's a great book. And it's not, and he writes novels too. I mean, he's, he's yeah, a he famous, writes, famous writer, and this is his, I think, his only nonfiction. And, yeah, uh, and I, I'm telling you, his. I was doing the play in New York City. It was during 9/11. We were, we were in New York, and a, a, a book guy, a publisher, came up to me, walked up to me after he saw the show, and he handed me The War of Art. And he goes, this book you might as well have written based on what you just did in your performance. 
And it's all about resistance, our own resistance to our creativity, to our whatever, you know, whatever we're building, whatever we're creating. And that being our biggest nemesis is our own resistance. And I'm telling you, John, that was 15 years ago. There's not a day goes by that I don't know. I don't just open that book up and read a paragraph or a page. And it just kind of writes my ship. It just kind of gets me going in the right uh, direction. So that's a book I love and not, and I, I never do this with books. I never read a book once. I like the, the, at least those aren't the books I like. I like the books that I continually go back to and go, man, like I look at his writing and I go, I so wish I wrote that. (laughs) Well, and it's, I think uh, it goes back to your journey of being the best. He does, he doesn't dress it up. He tells exactly how you (laughs) could do it. And it's a good map for many people. You know, I mean, if you know, one of the things entrepreneurs, we're creative in creating our businesses, but a lot of times we don't think we're creative in some of the messaging, the stories that Bo and I are talking about. It's a great book. You know, if you use discipline, it's, it's not like it's a, you know, fairy dust gets dropped on you and somehow <laughs> you, you become creative. This is, this is actually something you can work on and you can be unbelievably creative in everything you do. And it's so important to do as entrepreneurs because what we have to do is differentiate ourselves. You know, yeah. we've got to get more people that you know, we're delivering a great experience to and we've got to get more people raising their hands that are qualified to explore working with us. And that's where this creativeness, the storytelling to build the relationships with our existing customers and clients. And it's also the best way of differentiating ourselves is having a narrative that we can share that people want to be part of. Mm-hmm. But Bo, Bo let, let's go to this. You and I have spent workshops together. I mean, two days and more together with a whole bunch of entrepreneurs all over the country. And you've got tons of insights. I've learned so much in working with you. And, and this is the one, you, the insight of the day, the entrepreneurial insight of the day. So if there's one insight, you know, with all the journeys, all the uh, different areas that you've worked in your life, with your fellow entrepreneurs, I mean, you've, you've gotten tremendous success in you know, your business today. You know, yeah. What would be one of the, uh, the insights that you would want to share, lessons learned? Boy, you know, it's, the, it's funny, John. I, I have three little ones, nine, seven, and five. And what I end up training entrepreneurs or CEOs or presidents of companies, or whoever I'm talking to, whoever I'm training, I train them exactly on the things that I want my kids to have and grow up with. I do. I, I train my kids exactly like I train entrepreneurs, exactly how I've been trained. And there's a couple of things that come up when I'm with my three kids and when I'm with my, with my coaching clients. One is we always end up saying this, like when my kids are together every uh, day before they go to school and every night before we go to bed, we put our hands in the middle. You know, we get in a huddle and we put our hands in the middle. And my wife, Dawn, as you know, Dawn, she's very resistant to this. So she's like, I'm not doing that. I'm going, come on, sweetie, you got to get in here. So all the kids put their hands in and we say this, while other kids complain, Eason's train, go to bed. And we are, I want my kids to know that practice and training 
being to be great is is everything. Being great is gravy. You don't have to worry about being great. You have to prepare to be great. You have to train to be the best. There's another thing we always say. We always say, we put our hands in again, we say hard work beats talent every time. So therefore, we take the onus off of talent or DNA, like, oh, he's just richer than me. Oh, he's better looking than me. Oh, he's luckier than me. We take DNA and genetics out of the picture and we say, we hang our hat on, hard work beats talent every time. Because I have a theory about this, John, and I think I'm right. I think in 10, 15 years, you and I are going to be having a beer and we're going to, uh, somebody's going to come up to us and they're going to have a new book or a new program or a new computer thing. And they're going to go like this. Hey, John and Bo, look at this, guys. See this? This is the newest thing. It's you, maybe you've heard of it before. They used to do it a long time ago. It's called, um, let me think, um, it's called hard work. <laughs> you know? And uh, I, ju- I want my people to know, just like Al Pacino told me, mm-hmm. just like I tell my kids, if you're going to be the best, you're looking at 12, 15, and you're going to work your tail off. There's no like, you know how a lot of gurus say, hey, John. Yeah, success uh, overnight. You know, yeah, I, or, or they say, work less, make yeah, more. Yeah. And I'm like, I, when I make more, I work more. Yeah. Well, I think most of the entrepreneurs know this. And uh, one of my very good friends, two good friends, Russ Allen Prince and Louis Schiff, uh, did a major research project on uh, the, the really the middle-class millionaires and, me, and what separated people that had accumulated an awful lot of wealth out of middle class and those that didn't. And, you know, they were, were, I saw the early research and so on, and I was saying, how are you going to make this a business, you know, not only a book, but a business out of it? Because they were going to do that. And, and really the secret was hard work. After 45, the one factor that determined your level of success wasn't intelligence. It wasn't good looks. It, it, you know, it all, no matter what you say, it was you're willing to put in the time to make the difference. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. Hey, John, do you ever? Uh, can you have another minute? Yeah. Sure. Share something on that on that note. There's um, there's this guy Daniel Coyle. He's an author, and he wrote the Talent Code, and he mm-hmm. wrote a book called The Little Red Book of Talent. And he's a guy who just went around and studied all these little hotbeds of talent, whether it was mathematics over here, or tennis here, or playing the cello here. He didn't care what the discipline was. All he cared was why were these little groups, these little places, creating all these talent pools coming out of these tiny little places? Why was that happening? And they asked him, they said, okay, if you had to sum it up into one sentence, what separates these talent hotbeds from the rest of the world? And he said, if I have to sum it up in one sentence, it goes like this. Talent hotbeds have a different relationship to practice than the rest of the people. And that is so simple, but I find it so true. He didn't say they practiced more, but he did say they had a different relationship to practice, what it meant. Uh, That's so powerful. Let me go to this here.
I want to share what I've learned out of our time together here, Bo, and uh, three key takeaways. One, the power of perfecting your personal story and sharing it is just huge. I mean, it's just, it's an amazing thing. And I'm going to encourage every entrepreneur to get your story and use it in messaging and communicating, not only in the marketing, but also in your existing relationships. It's changed all of my businesses. Two, get a mentor. And oftentimes the mentors, you know, the Al Pacino story is a, a great example. I've had a number of mentors throughout my career and almost always it was just simply asking them. It doesn't mean they're going to take a huge time and energy, but you don't need much for the right person. It's all about having the connections. And the third bow is being the best. And I'm going to go to a story you told me that I love, and it's your uh, year with the 49ers. And uh, uh, matter of fact, why don't you tell it? Because this to me, and this is, I'm thinking of Jerry Rice's story, and we'll, we'll finish on this. But the, this is so important for all of you, because every time I think that I might call it quits early. Yeah. I think of this story. And yeah. why don't you share it if you would? Yeah. It's, I'm so glad that you think of that, John, because th this, this Jerry Rice, you know, for those of you who don't know, he is the greatest, known as the greatest football player ever to play the game. So that game's been pl played for, you know, 100 years. He is, he, the guy in second place behind Jerry Rice is 60 touchdowns behind him. That's how, that's the gap between first and second. So that leaves the rest of us way back there. He is the most generous, um, he has the most generous expression of a, the spirit that I'd ever seen. He gives more to an art form, which we call football, than anybody I've ever seen give of themselves. So uh, I played against this guy for four years, so I knew how great he was. And then I got traded to the San Francisco 49ers. So I was on the team with the greatest football player ever to play. So when I was a little boy, I made a contract with myself. It was just no one knew about it, but it went like this. Whenever I'm going to go to a practice, whether on a court or a field or a gymnasium, I was going to be the first person on the field, and I was going to be the last person to leave that field. And I kept that promise for 20 years, and no one ever beat me on the field early or off the field late. I, it was me, and that was my edge. And then I got traded to San Francisco. And the first day of training camp in Rockland, California, I'm walking out to training camp, just like always, hour and a half before anybody's even dressed. I'm walking out in that hot sun, and guess who's out there? The greatest football player ever to play the game is out there. And I was like, how does, it, how does this make sense? If he's the greatest already, why is he beating out everyone else who is mediocre? So I was angry, right? Because this is the first time in 20 years I'd been beaten out there. So we start warming up after the rest of the team came out an hour and a half later. So Joe Montana is right over here and Steve Young's over here and he's throwing the balls to the receivers, which Jerry Rice is a receiver. So there's a line of 16 receivers. And the first guy, you know, he comes off the line. This is warm-ups, mind you. He comes off the, off the line of scrimmage, half speed, trying not to pull a muscle, taking it easy, getting warmed up, throw, runs a pattern. Uh, Joe, Joe Montana throws him the ball. The guy catches the ball, and he stops. And he walks the ball back to Joe Montana, hands Joe the ball, walks back in line. Then Jerry Rice comes up. <sighs> Completely different. 
different animal. Full speed. Boom. Breaks off a slant. Boom. Catches the ball. Boom. Gone. I mean, this guy took off 100 yards. Full speed. We're in warm-ups. Everyone on the team's going, where's he going? Where, where's he going? He ran all the way to the end zone. He turns around. He runs all the way back. Hands the ball to Joe Montana back in line. So the next guy gets up. Again, half speed, all pro glide, taking it easy, being cool, catch the ball, stop. Walk the ball back to Joe, hand Joe the ball, back in line. Jerry Rice comes up. Woom, woom, woom. Again and again and again for three hours during the practice. I never seen a guy sprint that many. I mean, it must have run 10 miles of sprints. Every time, putting his butt in the end zone, turning around, running all the way back, handing the ball to the quarterback. I never seen anything like it. So afterwards, I go up to him and I said, Jerry, what is the deal, man? What's, why do you do that? I never seen anybody finish plays like you finish plays. What is the deal with you? Why do you do that? And he goes, that's very simple, Bo. Every time that these hands touch a ball, this body ends up in an end zone. And it just struck me that there are no accidents. No, this guy has trained his body to get in an end zone. So is it, is it a surprise that he has 60 more touchdowns than the guy in second place? You know, every game and, you know, and living in the Bay Area, that was such a treat. But to know that story and it's, you know, as entrepreneurs, we have the opportunity. I mean, everybody that's an entrepreneur that I know that's successful is working hard. They're focused. And, you know, this is our opportunity. We're always working toward perfection. We're never perfect. We're looking to be the best. Bo, let's go to resources. And I'm going to pull up your website. And what resources do we have to help these, our fellow like-minded entrepreneurs who really want to break out and be the best? Yeah, it's, I mean, really, the, the things that I do, I do this twice a year is I train people in La Jolla, California, and I put them in a theater, a big Broadway-type style house. And what I do in there for three days, John, is I train them at their own story, not only capturing that story, but physicalizing it. And what I do is I bring in the people that trained me. Um, the New York Times named my play, Run to the Litter, the most powerful play of the last decade. And the reason they named it that is because I surrounded myself with four people that could deliver. They were the best at movement or voice or content. And I surrounded myself with them. Well, that's what I do with my entrepreneurs. I take them in there. I get them on their feet for three days until they leave armed with the most valuable asset they got, which is their personal story. Not only did they know what it is, they know how to physicalize that thing. So everywhere they move, everywhere they walk, their, their body is informed with their voice, with their story, so that people now have to deal with them, much like we have to deal with people um, that we can't take our eyes off. Like think of like firefighters or Navy SEALs or elite athletes or, you know, Mikhail Baryshnikov, the greatest ballet dancer. There's something about what they're doing physically that you just have a hard time looking away from their presence. That's what I've been trained to do. And that's what I train my people to do. So that, that is really the, you know, the most important thing um, uh, that I do in, in, to, to impact people. So, because the one thing we've learned, John, is that, I mean, you and I have learned this together and separate. 
But, you know, uh, Rolf Jensen, you know, the, the, he's the director of the Copenhagen Institute mm -hmm. of Future Studies, and he said, the highest paid person in this century will be the storyteller, regardless of occupation. So I don't care if you're selling eggs. I don't care if you're selling what, it doesn't matter. You're no longer selling. Now you're talking story. If you notice everybody, uh, we've been on this, uh, this telecast for, you know, 45 minutes, right? You notice everything out of my mouth is a story. Everything out of my mouth is a story. That's just how it goes. And that's what connects me to my audience. And that's, what, that's why I'm able to have the impact that I have. And that's how you'll have the impact too. No, it's, it's so great. And I've taken hundreds of my clients and fellow entrepreneurs, and we've worked with Bo. And, you know, I started this podcast with This is the Secret Weapon. And I'm going to encourage you, go to uh, Bo's website. It's boeason.com. Easy to get there. And learn or even become better storytellers. This is so important, as Bo's saying, not only today, but in the future. This is how you're gonna differentiate yourself, create that emotional connection. Bo, thank you again for spending some time with us and really sharing your hard-earned insights. Yeah, you got it, John. It's always great to be working with you and uh, good luck with this. It's gonna be awesome, I can't wait. Well, and let's go out there and make a difference. Your current clients, your future clients, they're counting on you, don't let them down. Exceptional, remarkable breakthroughs. AESNation.com